Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. direct from the dream hotel that's right (laughs) chief johnson malik rashid with our esteemed esteemed guest jason maiden thank you brothers man thank y'all for having me nah thank you for being here man we got a lot to talk about speed of grace yeah 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 prior to that all all this nike but just life you you got a full life you got a full life. Yeah, bro, it's wild. Let's talk about, talk to us about like early, early, early years, like, and the things that informed the space that you currently sit in. Yeah. Like some of those early things and, and just move us through it. Yeah, so um, I, I would say my life, if I was to define my life sonically, it's like a conversation between John Coltrane and probably someone like, Ralph Ellison or James Baldwin. Wow. Um, the reason I say that is because my journey is, is based on improvisation. Like my parents been together since they were 13 and 14. They didn't have a blueprint of what success looked like. So everything they did was, an improv- you know, they improvised. Okay. Mm. Like jazz music is improvisation. Yeah. And okay. I think when it's done well, it's a reflection of intention. And so my parents' intention was for us to be sovereign to be whole in who we are, to know who we are, and to not rely on anyone for self-worth. So for me, it was critically important because at the age of seven, I was diagnosed with septicemia, which is a severe blood infection. And with that diagnosis, like I almost passed away. So imagine sitting in the hospital and you're dealing with something that is an invisible enemy. You got young parents. My father had came out of the military. He's on the GI Bill going to college. Okay. And you're just seeing your parents react to something that they can't defend against, which is an illness. So I'm sitting there reading, you know, books and, and learning about creativity because that's all I physically could do was consume information. Okay. And I came across this dude in Batman number 307, black guy named Dr. Lucius Fox. And I was the first time I'd ever seen someone like him in a position of authority in a comic book kind of, you know, metaverse or universe, I should say, of characters because he was giving direction to Bruce Wayne Okay. He was on the phone telling people to hold up, fam. I'll call you back. My assistant will hit you later. <laughs> like, he was calling shots. And I'm like, who is this black dude telling Batman to take a break? Like, so, okay. And I was like, wow, man, what is he doing? So I obsessed over understanding what his vocation was. And I found out he was the CEO of Wayne Enterprises. He was an engineer. He was a financier. He was just the guy that used intellect to empower superheroes. So in my little seven-year-old mind, I thought, okay, cool. I can do that for Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan was like Bruce Wayne growing up in Chicago. Okay. So I, I tell that story because it, it, that seven-year-old kid hasn't left me. I don't put limits on myself. And I think imagination, when put into action, 
it's, we call it creativity, but it's altruistic rebellion. If I can create, I can rebel against society's expectations of me. Mm. If I can create, I can create new narratives that redefine and reposition what it looks like to be a black male from the inner city. So I don't believe that I'm bound to anyone's description because I get to choose my adventure. I get to write my narrative. Um, and I feel grateful because Chicago is a city that's specifically targeted because it was founded by a Haitian immigrant, Jean-Baptiste Toussaint, a black man founded that city. He was an entrepreneur and he owned land, the largest pieces of land. Wow. And he negotiated you know, with, with the natives in that region. He negotiated with the French, he negotiated with the settlers. So that was probably the blackest thing you could do is come from Haiti to sell fur to the French. <laughs> that, I mean, that's like super black. But what was awesome is that you grow up in a city like Chicago, you're, you're, you have this mindset of ingenuity and entrepreneurship. And then when you have a family like mine that was civil servants and, and military and math teachers and NOI and Black Panthers, you, it, you can't help but fall in love with this idea of that you're enough. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's a bit about my journey. Wait, man. you can't repeat that. You can't help. But yeah, but fall in love with the idea of knowing that I'm enough. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I'm perfect and complete, and I deserve respect simply because I'm another human being, not because of any accolade or titles, because I don't own any of that, and, and I don't have an ownership mindset. I have a stewardship mindset. I didn't pick my gifts and talents. Therefore, anything that's entrusted to me, I'm a steward of, not an owner of. Mm. And when you have an ownership mentality, you start to covet things, and then you, you have a scarcity mindset because you think what you give away, you can't get back. Mm. When you're a steward, you deliberately are, are giving away because you understand the law of reciprocity. And whatever you put out is what you get back through through the universe. So I don't have a covetous mind. I don't covet anything. I don't want what another man has because I feel like what's meant for me will find me. And if I put out good intention, that's what will come back to me. And I saw the, the power of collective economics in the inner city. I saw the power of collective you know, healing because at the time when you grow up, seeing what is now known as gang culture in Chicago, for me, these were my cousins and my siblings and my family members and, and people in my neighborhood they were the ones that were buying lunch. You know, they were walking us to school, making sure we were safe. They were the ones who recognized my talent and telling me, yo, this isn't for you. So there's this really unique relationship between being, at least the era I grew up in in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Okay. Because those people were, they were entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And they were people who literally had, you know, positions of leadership and they were identifying your skill sets and they were ranking value on skill sets even if you didn't see it. So there was a value placed on me being creative that didn't allow me to go into gang culture. Because they were like, you have a talent, you go over here, do more of that. So it's, it's really fascinating now, man, that we demonize it in the city, especially Chicago, because there's a lot of us who affect culture, who come from there, that all were given this permission to be ourselves. You know what I mean? Mm. Don C, yay. Don. Vic, Mensa, I mean, we could go on and on. Lupe, all of them, man. Yeah. Taz. Everybody, bro. Like, Chicago, it's an open-air architecture museum. It's an open-air black history museum. It's a musical museum. It's an artistic museum. It's a manufacturing museum. Yeah. The city itself is a marvel. Like, yeah. it's designed in a way that no other city is designed. But you don't get a chance to appreciate it because you're reminded of the, of, of the trauma you're supposed to expose yourself to. Yeah. You hear Chicago, they tell you Chirac. Like, yeah. bro, I don't call it that. Because like, you, 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 you reopen up wounds and in our community, specifically black community, we have a fascination with hustling, which is a trauma response. Like we don't realize our ambition most times is based on us outworking our pain. So I've had to break that mindset of being trauma bonded to language, to certain things that I would do, because the trauma bond gives you a sense of familiarity. 
but at the same time, it, it binds you subconsciously to stuff that no longer serves you. So it's, it's important that we honor the city and we look at the beauty of it. And I'm hyped because we just got a mayor that actually understands that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The first black mayor, I don't count Lori Lightfoot, no disrespect, but I mean, like, what, what he came in to do is similar to what Harold Washington was trying to do. Okay. Right? And, and that, to me, is, is really critical because Harold Washington was for the people. Yeah. Lori Lightfoot, no disrespect to her. What she did, she walked into a very messy situation. <laughs> I, I don't know how anyone could have fixed the city that she walked into, but I think now the city is ready for healing, and, that, and the brother who is occupying the office, I'm hopeful that he's able to create some effective change. Do you see yourself maybe uh, trying to get involved with the, with the new city mayor? Like... Um, I get involved with the people, not the politics. There you go. The politics for me at some point just becomes about self-grandization because that's what politics really is. It's like, mm -hmm. vote for me. I, I'm for the people. I'm for the people. And if I get caught trying to play the political game, that pushes me further away from the people. So I think if I am involved, it's for the kids, it's for the youth. And if the city, you know, has the means and the willingness to want to work with someone like myself that's an entrepreneur, then I will get after it. But if it's just something that pats me on the back and makes me feel good about myself, I, I don't need another accolade. <laughs> I'm cool. Like, I'm trying to create impact. Absolutely. Seems at a, a very, very, very early age, you establish knowledge of self, self-awareness, however you want to call it, which I think in this day and time is a huge a huge struggle yeah. within our community, within other communities, culture. What are some of those, what are some tangible, you know, kind of things that you, you know, um, put out there that, to, to kind of help kids do that? Because, you know, yours came in a, in a different light, right? Yeah. Something that you were dealing with made you identify that, but, you know, what are some things like, you know, you, you can employ, implore our people and just people in general to try to try to walk those things down? Yeah, man, look, I, I didn't fit in at all, bro. Like, if I didn't love myself, nobody liked me. That was just the truth. Nobody understood half the stuff I talked about, um, stuff I was interested in, the stuff I was curious about. People were like, yo, that's not what black people think about. Like, mm -hmm. bro, I want to build a spaceship. I want to build for superheroes. I'm, ah, black people don't do that. And I'm like, why not? Why, did, why would I limit myself? Why would I tell myself I can't do something? And so after a while, I stopped trying to find, I stopped trying to prove people wrong and I just wanted to prove God right. That's it. And when you walk with that, that intention that whatever you've been given, whatever you've been entrusted, whatever gifts you have, you only perform it for an audience of one. So everything I do, and I tell people, find that thing that you feel is the greatest way for you to say thank you to the Most High for rewarding you or giving you the gifts you have. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like what John Coltrane did with the Love Supreme. Like if you read the liner notes of that album, homie was like, look, this is, this is my greatest attempt to say thank you to God. Like this album is just for you. All of my projects, I do it with that mindset of I'm doing this for an audience at one. So for anybody that's searching and seeking acceptance and validation from the culture, don't. Yeah. Don't. First of all, there is no one culture. Yeah. There's multiple cultures. And those cultures have rules that change over time because that's how culture is. It's an organism, not an organization. It's supposed to morph. It's supposed to be shaped and contoured and, and kind of shifting as we get more understanding and more nuance. But when we play to someone else's expectations, I think it limits us. Yeah. I don't think no other person on this planet can expect more from me than me. 
So why do I need to care about their opinion of me when they're not willing to push themselves the way I'm willing to push me? Mm-hmm. And that came through literally having people tell me, bro, you weird, you different, you lame. I'm like, cool. Just because you don't understand me doesn't mean it's wrong. It's because you're afraid to experience life through a different context. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I stopped thinking about characteristics and categorization and I started looking for shared common interests that I found my tribe. And my tribe is global. So because I look at things through shared common interest, and I don't limit myself based on what they tell us, race, race is a construct. It's not a real thing. Yeah. If you Asian, white, black, whatever, you need to get a blood transfusion or a kidney. You're not asking for, let me look at the list of, no, you want the person that's a match bi- you know, <clears throat> biologically. That's when I realized the trick they played on us. We have this beautiful, expressive culture that affects all culture, but then we're told we need to limit ourselves to what we think is black. How's it both true at the same time? Well, we can affect the entire globe, but I can't think outside of what you told me I am. That's literally ridiculous. Yeah, lately I've I've been in private conversations with, you know, members of my tribe, right? Mm. Uh, The conversation has been that the culture is sending mixed signals mm-hmm. and has been for quite a long time um, because of the lack of understanding. Again, like you, like you said, uh, the, your, your confidence comes because, again, you're only performing for an audience of one, understanding, um, uh, understanding the constructs of, of uh, or the constraints of trying to fit into, you know, uh, a a picture that someone else has painted. And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it is. You know what I'm saying? Again, black, white, Asian, whatever. That's just not where you want to see yourself, right? Um, And that's why I think we're having so many. That's why I think our youth are, are having so many challenges because of, uh, the check system, you know what I'm saying? You got your blue check, you know what I mean? Do you got your, did you get your shoes from wherever, you know what I mean? Where you're able to get, like all of these things that um, for us, right? For us, uh, when we were coming up, these things were more things of like, it was like digging for albums and records and everything, you know what I'm saying? It was it was about that, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing to, that was weaponized yeah. and used to make someone feel as if they weren't a part of. But actually my joy was in, you know, looking for vinyl or looking for new shoes or looking for a different texture of uh, clothing or whatever it was, right? Um, Now everything has been weaponized in a way to, to, to actually just deplete the spirit. You know what I mean? So I think your your understanding of self and I think that's something again you could you I understand you you don't want to stand on the soapbox about but at the same time um shared experience is so powerful. And so I think um that's why I was so excited and and and, and currently am excited about you being here because of the shared experience and the way that you deliver it and articulate it. Because again, we need to, um, we need to arm people with the, with the intentions of being themselves and finding their worth within their journey, knowing that it's going to come along. Yep. It may not come at the time that you expect it to, but it's going to come if you keep working at it. That's and it. the intent is to 
again, stewardship too, you know? So again, thank you, thank you. And it looks different for everybody. It do, absolutely you know I mean? does. I think that's where absolutely we also does. do ourselves an injustice is that we think what success is for one person, years is supposed to look like that, you know? Um, so again, like these kind of conversations are transformative, you know, even for adults, even for people, you know, like myself, you know, and I don't think you're ever, you never arrived at your destination until it's done. But as long as you stay the course and you understand what your path is, what your journey is, and like you said, like I just love like the, the audience of one, I'm performing for him because he's crafted it all. You know what I mean? And um, just, just, just heavy, heavy, but like already got me so open. Like, <laughs> um, talk to us, talk to us about uh, one of the newer endeavors, and we'll get back to everything else. Yeah. But let's let's talk about the speed of grace. Oh man, yeah, this um. So, this is the second of two books that on the surface seemed disconnected. The first book I wrote was a kid's book about design. I'll tell everybody that was my mixtape. Uh, and the reason I served the youth first is because I wanted to be consistent in my leadership ethos. Like I talk a lot about focusing on the youth, delivering value for the youth. And youth is an age, it's mindset. That's the one thing I think people forget. I know some of the youngest people that chronologically are older. Mm -hmm. And the truth about the creative arts is that the older you get, the more childlike you become because you forget the rules and you learn how to evolve and you learn how to find peace in your journey. Um, so the speed of grace, it builds on the kid's book. The first chapter is connected to illustration in the kid's book. And it's the explanation of the mental health crisis and how it correlates to a failure of leadership in corporate America. Because the same things that we see in society are happening in organizations but we don't necessarily talk about how poor leadership is a function of unaddressed trauma, unaddressed mental health issues. Because you give mm -hmm. a person power, a budget, <laughs> and direct reports, and they haven't healed, of course they're gonna use that to be abusive, to be demeaning, to be belittling. And the one thing you, you know about you know, this generation of kids who are coming into the workforce is they don't have time for that. They don't tolerate that. Yeah. If they don't like it, they'll walk away from it. Like we call it quitting. They call it making a choice for my own peace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with saying no to stuff. Yeah. So the speed of grace, instead of me pointing a finger, I just walk through all the stories of my life and experiences and, and things that I've learned from you know, my own battles with anxiety and PTSD and depression to finding out at 38, you know, I had Asperger's and my whole life I thought it was ADHD. Um, to, you know, starting a company, having to shut it down because of COVID, from finding myself in the ER thinking I'm having a heart attack when it's an anxiety attack. Just the truth is success. Like, we, we show the shiny picture, the game-winning jump shot, the Grammy, the Oscar, the accolade, but you, it, we don't show the lonely nights, the worry, the zero dollars in your bank account. Man. Just putting on and just keeping going even when you physically don't want to do it because motivation is perishable and discipline takes over when motivation runs out. And so I wanted to show people the discipline in my life because I haven't always been motivated, but I am disciplined to keep going. Like mm. I can't stop because I have a, a vision of myself and I want to live in that reality. I don't want to just let it be a dream. I want it to be a reality. So until I'm standing in that moment, I fall in love with the process of becoming. And that's what that book talks about. I don't move at the speed of greed, commerce, culture, nobody else's provocation. I move at the speed of grace. And whatever that means for me, 
may not mean the same thing for you, but for me, grace is harmony in every circumstance. So as long as I can look at every opportunity as a teacher, not as a loss or a win, then it moves me closer and closer to that image that's been placed in my mind for like 20 plus years. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm still working towards that thing. Um, but I, but I you know, have deliberately fell in love with the process of becoming, not what I'm becoming, but the process itself. Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, speaking of like, you know, finding out anxiety and walking through depression, um, were there certain instances that happened or was it a reoccurring thing that you're like, I got to figure out what's going on with me? Because I think the first time I never really knew what anxiety was yeah. until the first time I lived by myself. Mm. And I remember I had just moved into my own apartment in Echo Park and I didn't have any furniture or anything yet. And I remember like I couldn't breathe. I was mm. hyperventilating and I felt like everything was closing in. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like, and then I hit up a friend of mine who I remember telling me years before that they were dealing with anxiety, they were on pills, all these things. And I was just like, more or less for somebody to talk to. And they're like, you're having an anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I was like, dang. Yeah. But I finally realized it was because that was the first time I really had been alone. Mm. Like, you know, always live with siblings or roommates or you know, there's always people around. So I think that was like a real moment where my body and mind was like, yo, I don't know how to adjust to this. Yeah. You know, mm. so was there certain moments or was it a bunch of things that kept leading up to it where you're like, oh, I have to figure out what's going on? Yeah, it was. Um, so it started. It started when I began to research two things. One, something. Um, Actually, three things. Epigenetics, which is the science of looking at trauma attached to your DNA. Like, we have trauma in our DNA. Mm. So the reason why we have predispositions to certain illnesses is because we have ancestral trauma that caused high blood pressure and hypertension. It's not just diet, it's stress. Like, when you are stressed, your DNA changes because your body releases different hormones and stress responders that alters you chemically. That's passed on to us genetically and generationally. Then I started to look at something called psychogenic death, which is the science of giving up. Like, I wanted to understand why would people quit? And it's a phenomenon that happens with POWs. If they're captured and they're not physically harmed, the mind can shut the body down. And just literally, they could just die. Because they've conceded to understand, like, I can't get out of this. Let me just quit. The third piece was when I heard the term post-traumatic slave syndrome. And I started to ask myself, like, what does that mean? Like, this is crazy. And then I realized we're a people, you know, not all of us came to the United States through slavery. I do want to say that on the record, that there's evidence of millennia ago, people migrating from South America up into North America of African descent. So a lot of what they tell us coming on boats is, is a lot of it's not necessarily factually accurate. But there is something that is true universally. Any oppressed people who have been through almost 500 years of trauma and expected to perform at a high level without any healing it's absurd and think about what we've been through and not any of us have had proper adequate tools to actually heal yeah. to unpack our trauma to unpack the things we deal with we just told to just oh that's just how we are you know your, you know your auntie she crazy that's just how she mm -hmm. is no that might be a trauma response that might be ptsd the way that we talk to our kids you know in terms of oh you oh you ain't that good oh you know and how we downplay their accomplishments that comes from slavery us not wanting our children to be seen as valuable so they won't be taken and when you realize the language we use and how it was attached to trauma 
it hit me heavy because I'm like, wait, I'm not ambitious. I'm out running pain. I'm thinking I'm grinding. No, I'm running from moments that made me feel completely inadequate or, you know, feel vulnerable or feel like my life was threatened. And I'm trying to outwork those moments. If I get enough, I can feel safe. I'm working to feel safe. That moment never comes if you don't have a moment where you're faced, you know, with having to look at yourself. And that usually comes through loss or physical ailment. In my case, it came through my body just being exhausted. It just literally, and this happened numerous times throughout my life where I thought it was a badge of honor. I would stay up and, and do all nighters mm -hmm. and have to go and get an IV drip for hydration. I thought that was like, yeah, yo, I can outwork all y'all. Nah, man, I, I'm, I'm running a startup. We're doing relatively well. I'm explaining to some other founders who were non-melanated the things I experienced versus what they experienced, and their facial expressions hit me because they, they, they looked at me like, bro, I, I never heard that question. I never had an investor ask me, how could you afford a Rolex or what your credit score is or what are you doing with the money buying your friend's cars? It's like, I've never had that. And when I realized that my experience is abnormal, but I've normalized disrespect, I've normalized having to outperform, I've normalized ex anticipation of some ignorant comment, I was suppressing trauma and it just, it bubbled out one day. Massive anxiety attack, drove myself to the ER, thinking this is the last thing I'm writing to my kids in my phone, which became the basis of this book. And that's when I had to unpack, like, I've been tricked. We've been told our whole life, chase your dreams, chase this, chase that. And I realized if I'm chasing something, it's running away from me. Why is it running away from me? Why is my dream running away from me? Why is money running away from me? Why is opportunity running? Because you only chase things that are not coming towards you. Mm. And I stopped. And I stopped trying to perform to expectations that were false. And I realized if I'm going to change the trajectory of my family, I have to stop living in a reenactment. Because... Our culture, meaning black culture in the United States, is our nationality, if you think about it. We don't have a country to claim. I never hear a person say I'm a black American. I've never heard that phrase. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or I don't, even, I don't even hear people say African American unless they're trying to be politically correct and don't yeah. want to say black. Mm -hmm. So when I realized, like, dang, okay, I'm an indigenous person, but I'm nationless in terms of ideology. I've used trauma as my fuel, and I don't necessarily know how to explain how I feel if I don't do the work, my kids are gonna live in a reenactment of life that they seen out of me. Cause I'm living in a reenactment of life I seen out of my parents and they're living in a reenactment they seen out of their parents. So I, I'm like, I'm not gonna be, you know, a reenactment, I'm gonna start a new narrative. And that starts with me first addressing my own BS mm. and telling myself like, bro, you gotta get yourself together. You gotta address your issues. You gotta address what you're afraid of, what you're dealing with, what your insecurities are. And once you confront them, you can conquer them and you can change the narrative. So I'm not trying to fix the timeline. I'm just starting a new one. I'm starting a brand new reenactment. So when my great grandkids are reenacting my life, they starting companies. <laughs> they getting PhDs. They investing in the community. They gonna be fully healed because that's the narrative that I want to pass along. That's what I want to leave in my DNA is yeah. healing. Because I do understand that the power of intention and thinking a hundred years out. We think you know next season the new Gucci, I'm thinking 100 years from now, what do I want my lineage to look like? What do I want my progeny to feel? How do I want them to interact with the world? And I want them to be fully free in every sense of that word. Freedom, uh, that, that kind of freedom takes work. You know, you have to be committed to it. Uh, and that's, man, this is a blessing. Because we, we all, like you said, we are, uh, we are, we are reenacting. We're reenacting the script that, you know, 
that we've seen a number of number of times, you know what I mean? Um, and so we have to find a way, <clears throat> and we have to, again, we can't, we can't chase it. We have to <laughs> pull it towards us, create the gravitational pull, and you do that by doing the work. We always say this, the work can't be circumvented. Um, and the other thing is that you pointed out that was amazing was I, when you said you were running off of um, fumes, but it was, it, was more, it was more out of fear, right? It's like fear fumes, mm -hmm. right? Is that, would yeah. that be proper? Yeah. Yeah, like, and, and that, that's, that's not what can motivate you. Like, I don't want to go back to that again. No, what's got to motivate you is this is where I deserve to be. I'm supposed to be here and I'm going to stay here and I'm going to live in this and I'm going to stay here. But the fear thing cannot be the motivating thing. No. Like that's, that's the thing that we tell ourselves like, yo, the fear won't have me looking back. No, the, no, it won't because you don't have, you don't have the right tools. It'll, it'll for a while, It'll keep you moving, right? Yeah. But that, but that trauma response can't be, can't be parlayed into long-term sustainable success, because again, you you haven't you haven't um, you haven't put your arms around the tools that you need to create the real success, right? right. Like you you don't have an understanding. So we gotta get understanding. We gotta get understanding. And the thing is, is that that's challenging for us. Is that we are afraid to, we're afraid to look down, you know, sort of look down the barrel of the gun and being like, yo, it's not anybody else on the other side of this. We're on the other side of the gun. You know what I'm saying? In terms of our thinking, I'm not talking about like the physical, but so we got to change. I'm going, man, we, we go through it every day. I'm going through it. We've had conversations. I called them. I was in the grocery store. We're talking about the show, but then it, it, the conversation went on to just certain things that obstacles. And I said, and we just started to be, we begin to share. And um, I think that's the other thing that we need. We need more transparent, vulnerability, responsible conversations between men. Yeah, bro. Because that's the only thing that turns this around. Yeah. Like, because uh, anxiety, again, I've heard that it's, it's just, um, it's, your, it's your response to trying to live, you know, in the future. Like, you're anticipating all these things again, as flight. opposed to it being like, hey, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. Because I, I remember the first time I, I dealt, I had the worst panic attack, whatever ever was. I've been told I was about to, um, I'd, I'd never had any ailments or been sick or anything. And this wasn't a big thing, well, but I, I had, a, I was told I was going to have, I, I had to have a lipotripsy for a kidney stone. So they were going to put me under. And at the same time, I was in between, uh, I was in between, um, I was transitioning from having, you know, stability in our jobs and in a title, and I didn't have that anymore. The lipotripsy was hand happening. Bills had to be paid. There was a lot of different things happening. My mom had gone through some things during this time, 
And I remember my therapist just saying, look, man, you just fractured. Like, that's that's just it. You fractured. You know what I mean? And um, I didn't, even when that happened, I didn't, I didn't have the tools. I, 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 I just, I found something in me, like I clicked the switch that said, yo, you're being weak. You just got to get up and get through this and get to the next play and blah, 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 blah. And I, that didn't serve me well because even to this day, I'm still dealing with anxiety to a bit. And the reason that I haven't, I, I know that I haven't fully jumped over it is because um, the tools have not, I haven't consistently worked the tools that it takes to really overcome this. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, and, and it's, it's, it's actually, it's impacted my family because again, we are, we are the stewards. Yeah. So if, if, if I'm not taking care of me and taking care of these trauma responses, whether it's unintentional or not, I'm passing it around. So again, we gotta, yeah, we gotta take care of it. We gotta Absolutely. take care of it. Yeah, transformative conversations, but also an action plan. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing people tend to do is like sit around and talk about the trauma and talk about these things, but then they go and then stay in the same, you know, and and you're a testament of like you knew those things were going on, but you aggressively went at it head on. And we have to get in a, a space to where we're encouraging each other to do that but we're doing that for ourselves Mm -hmm. it's like we have to you know understand that those those issues just don't go away because you recognize oh i have anxiety or i recognize i'm not in good health you still got to go and do the work you know and it's a it's a daily thing it's just like whether being an alcoholic or a drug addict even if you get sober any alcoholic or drug addict will tell you i've been sober for 20 years but every day is a battle work every day is a battle and you have to 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 employ all those tools to make sure you stay in that space and you know we have to figure out how to to deploy more of those tools into our communities and Mm -hmm. into people just in general so that they can hopefully help them navigate you know those kind of things absolutely man because we've they've made several industries off off of our pain. Most people drink it away, sex it away, smoke it away. Like, well, you can breathe it away. You can meditate it away. You can, you know, do mobility exercises and do yoga. Like, all these things that have been positioned as unobtainable to people of color, specifically melanated indigenous people of color. You know, they've taken ancestral practices, packaged it up as, you know, Something else. Something else. I don't want to, you know, demonize nobody's thing, but there's yeah. just certain people who've made themselves the faces of things that have existed for millennia and then sell it back to us and tell us, that's not for you. That's not what black people do. Black people don't meditate. Yeah. Black people don't do box breathing. Black people don't do yoga. I'm like, but ain't that something that was created millennia ago by this indigenous group of people from a part of Asia where there are people that are darker than us? Mm. So what do you mean it's not accessible to me? So I think... A lot of what's happened is we still operate like we're property on somebody's balance sheet. So we only look at our physical attributes as how we measure ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when we think like being a gentleman means I'm a passive man. So the only thing I can be is I'm not a sucker. I, I, I got to be tough. 
Or if I show love to my brothers, it's immediately sexualized. If I hug my brothers, oh, yeah, look at these dudes, they soft. Like, mm-hmm. bro, I hug my daddy, I hug my brother, I hug my friends, I tell them I love them. Like, that's not, that has Absolutely. nothing to do with sex. That has to do with appreciation of people's time and space. But we've been tricked to believe that only physical interaction in our community has to be sexual. Yeah. Compassion doesn't exist. There's only, you know, coercion. Like, we love coercion. Let me coerce you to do this thing, because if you're not wearing that, doing this, you ain't cool enough. You're not like me. Yeah. The reality of it is, man, nobody's cool because everybody got something behind the mask that makes them feel insecure. Everybody's performing for the algorithm. The people that aren't performing are labeled as, oh, man, they different, bro. Don't, they, they, off, you know, they weird. I think we need more people to be weird because those people are original thinkers and they've decided to just be themselves because it's already hard enough to be you. Yeah. You can't be anybody else. And we can't keep teaching our kids that there's one definition of greatness. Like I tell everybody, creativity was my jump shot. I wasn't going to the league. I created my league in my mind. Like I'm gonna be the first Jason. I don't care to be the next anybody else. Yeah. I can't occupy anybody else's timeline. I don't want to be a non-playable character with someone else's living their adventure. I want to be the the protagonist in my narrative. I want to slay the dragon. I want to be the hero of my own story. And that means I have to be willing to fail. I have to be willing to meet myself in failure. Because when you meet yourself in a dark moment, it holds you accountable to making that change. Cause you're given a chance to see who you are and you're given a choice to change that if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Most people don't want to change who they are. Most yeah. people love being enthralled in their own trauma cause it gives them an excuse to never try. Look where I come from, look what I got, bro. I got everything that's stacked against me. I didn't have adequate education. I had learning differences. I was sick. I didn't look like other kids. I was short, I was small, I was nerdy. I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. I did it anyway. I don't let none of that negative self-talk stop me. I still have negative self-talk. I still have anxiety, but I do it anyway. I still have the days where I doubt myself. I do it anyway because I understand that fear is not real. Fear is an illusion because if I'm afraid of something, I've already given it my power. Yeah. The only thing that is real is action and inaction because we're energy. And if I don't put my energy in motion, then that thing I'm afraid of is inevitable. Because that, that energy that isn't being put into motion has to go somewhere. And when we think about energy turned inward, it's the basis of negative growth. Think cancer is negative growth. Yeah. It's unused energy being directed inward. So your body starts to eat itself. Yeah. yeah. But when you put that energy outward, then you get personal, professional. You know, you get relational growth. Yeah. So we got to stop just saying the word grow. And we got to start defining what type of growth. Yeah. Cancer grows just like a flower grows. Yeah. Yeah, and we all know because it's a saying, right? I don't like being around that person. They're like a cancer. But we, like, the self-awareness, are are you the cancer? (laughs) Most times it's us. And a lot of the time it is. And that, you know, that that really comes down to, again, like, when you look yourself in the eye, you know, in your successes and your failures, you're able to identify that. And everything is a transfer of energy, right? And... You know, I'm the same way. Like, I have to check myself sometimes because I'm, like, I'm putting out the wrong energy. And that's because I might be going through something internally, yeah. and I don't know how to externally communicate what I'm going through. That's real. So you end up transferring your energy onto other people. And, you know, again, it's, it's even for people that are cognitive of that and aware of that, it's still hard. Yeah. So imagine that kid, a 16-year-old, who has no North Star of how to navigate that, it becomes that, the streets. It becomes, 
the, the trauma that yeah. we love and that we operate so comfortably in because it's the only thing we know. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, I hope. Operating comfortably in trauma. Yeah, I mean, I, I've even sense. said it like yeah. I was I was in a job interview and the new thing now with everybody is like we're we're um, building this as we're flying the plane. Can you op- are you able to operate yeah. in you know like the chaos? And I found myself saying like I operate so comfortably in the chaos, and that's not a badge of honor. No. Like it's great to have that tool when shit hits the fan, but it's that's not, not how I want to operate every how, day because that's what we've always that's where we've always operated from, right? From trauma, from trauma, and from the chaos and trying to figure it out, you know. But the level, you know, again, when you're able to navigate at least yourself mm-hmm. and be aware of that, you're able to reel yourself in a little bit and create, like you said, your own narrative. Um, which brings me, I wanted to ask, your story career, Jordan, other huge companies, how, how did you navigate being in a corporate setting with your knowledge of self, your views on things, and then being in an institution yeah. that you know, is, you're just a part of a, a cog yeah. you know, in the system? Man, um, I never, so the thing that I explain about my career is, um, I knew I was going to be in design, so I didn't feel I needed to invest much in building, like, a reputation in design. Because I was naturally going to be around all these people like me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know the value chain of the business. I wanted to understand how does my decisions impact people that I don't meet. So the supply chain people, the finance and compliance people, the operations people, you know, the customs people. So I would spend all my time with them as a designer and I figured out very early that I needed to spread the rumors that I wanted spread about me because when you limit your reach thinking that I have to go deep in my organization in order to find credibility and value you remember that unless you're in a part of the business that's a profit center and design is typically a cost center you have no juice yeah. <laughs> it may look cool but anybody that's just spending money that doesn't have a tangible measurable scalable ROI return on investment you're just spending money. And yeah. business operators are looking at the people that spend money is like, yeah, that's cool, but I wanna go over here and focus on what's making money. Yeah. So I went and worked with the people that were responsible for making money in the company, setting budgets. And I understood how they valued what I did as a vocation or a profession. And I understood how they were measuring their job. So when I wasn't in the room and you had design representatives that were nominating the people they thought were the ones who could be leaders. I had all these business operators saying, well, I never saw any of them come to my office and ask about legal and compliance, but Jason pulled up. Yeah. What do you mean this person is da 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 Jason, so I was able to you know, quickly understand that no one's better than anyone in any organization. Everybody is connected. My decisions impacted this person's decisions, impacting the next man's decisions. And I built a reputation for being a person that was curious, easy to work with. And when I say easy, I don't mean docile. I don't just say, yes, sir, no, sir. No. Easy means I'm willing to take feedback, being coachable. Yeah. We got to be coachable. Collaborative. Collaborative. You have yeah. to be coachable. Because yeah. I'm raw. I'm 19 years old, coming from the south side of Chicago by way of Detroit for undergrad. There was things that I didn't know that I didn't know. And if I was unwilling to change and evolve and grow, I would have stunted my own career. So I humbled myself very early and was like, man, I can learn from everybody, from a security guard to the CEO. I can learn from everybody. Because an undergrad, 
the people who held me down, janitors and security guards. They gave me food at night. They encouraged me because I was at a school, even though it was in Detroit, there was not a lot of people that looked like me. I get to Nike. What school was that? By? College for Creative Studies, CCS okay. in Detroit. Now we have a school, Penso. You know, uh, Penso Lewis, founded by my, my big brother, and, you know, he's godfather of my kids, Dr. Dwayne Edwards. Um, legend. legend. Like, it was me and him when I got to Jordan, like, literally. <laughs> he was in ACG. They put him in Jordan. I was in cross-training. They put me in Jordan. And I'm just like, it's us. You got a dude from Inglewood and a dude from the South Side being told, like, hey, Jordan brand may not exist. What are you going to do about this? How are you going to stand up and, and build something meaningful? So those experiences, I realized, like, Man, I was given the ball with like 10 seconds on the clock in the finals at 19. And I had no ability to say no. I had no, no time to be afraid to take the shot. Like, I'm working with Derek Jeter. I'm with this person. I'm, I had no time to doubt myself. But at the same time, I also knew that I was okay before I got to Nike, and I would be okay after I left Nike. Mm-hmm. I'd ask PR a lot of times to say, don't say Nike's Jason Maiden. That's a possessive framing. I'm not your property. Say Jason Maiden of Nike. Yeah. Because just as much as you have a brand, I have an identity, and it's not defined by my job. It's defined by me and my own development. So it was little nuances like that while we poke at the system, and they'll say, you need to put footwear designer on your business card. I'm like, no, I'm an industrial designer. Footwear is one of the things I can do. It's not the only thing I can do. Because I understood quickly, if I limit my earning potential and I frame myself with one title, it's really hard to have a transferable skill set. So I didn't want to be a designer, so I don't want to be the shoe guy. Like, nah, dog, I can create cars, airplanes, robots, business models, algorithms, video games, clothes, food. I can design a system. And if I want to do a shoe and go micro, great. If I want to do infrastructure, great. Because industrial design is a form of creativity that can build society. And if we only relegate it to consumer products and things that are extracting value, then we limit people that can literally change the fabric of our world. So I want more kids to go into industrial design. I want more kids to realize you can build the world you live in. You you don't just have to be born into it and accept it. If more people think that way, we're not going to sit here and be worried about policies. It's like, nah, bro, we're building and changing our local reality. So I focus on the 20-mile radius around my home. Wherever I am, if I can make 20 miles around me better, measurably better, services, products, communities, and I templatize that system, then other people can do that. And that's the movement now in design. You have designers who are leaving companies and going into small rural towns and redeveloping them mm. from scratch. Like, that's super dope. Yeah. I saw that process firsthand in Israel when I saw Kaputz. I don't know if y'all know what a Kaputz is. Yeah. Kaput is a community. It's a Jewish community. It's super dope. It's like a school system. It's vertically integrated. The elders watch the children while the people go to work. And then the kids come home. They have this full enclosed ecosystem of community and ideals and morals and values. And I'm like, this is a template. You know what I mean? This is a template of what community could really look like where there's a business that the whole town is a part of. So everybody has ownership. It it just was like, it, it can't exist. And then you come back to the United States and you hear people living in the same city that want to argue over which block they're from. Instead yeah. of saying, let's just look at what can we own collectively. How can we say we own one massive factory? It's community-based. We all own a part of it. We work here. We have an education system we own. And then you do that in a small scale. You can then scale it into larger, you know, larger, larger parts of the country. Yeah. And what's dope is all the people that are doing this, man, not once has race come up. It's people from all backgrounds that are thinking this way. And all yeah. we focus on is shared common interest, shared skill sets, and how do we help each other? There's something yeah. happening in, um, in Kansas. 
which is phenomenal. Um, and I'm like, this is it. This happened in Kansas, but they bought this small rural town and they flipped it with design. And now I can look at that and say, how can I apply that to Chicago? How can I apply that to, you know, South Central LA? How can I apply yeah. that to Gary, Indiana? Um, so I don't know, dude, I just get hyped from learning from people. I get hyped at being the, the dumbest person in the room. That's super cool to me. Cause I'm like, man, I can ask questions that other people are probably afraid to ask. Yeah. And people give me the hall pass cause I'm the designer. I don't know anyway, you know? Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's a unique experience when you humble yourself and you're willing to ask questions instead of always having an answer. Yeah. Yeah. And the importance too of wherever you're at career job wise learning, you know, um, and I was the same way, like at Puma, close friends with the legal people, the accounting people. I want to sit in the meetings where they're talking about distribution, you know, like all those things, because anytime companies lay off, they lay off the marketing department first. Gone. Because we spend the most money, you know what I mean? But how do I make myself valuable by understanding like how to scale a business, you know, how to, you know, negotiate deals, you know, now I'm adding to my personal toolbox, which was something until I got to Puma, I never understood because in smaller companies, everybody's just trying to figure it out. Every, the, the, the people who own the company, they're just trying to make as much money. The accountant might be tucked off somewhere. You know, the departments are way smaller. Yeah. The, the, the uh, distribution chain's different, you know, so I, I made it a point when I got there, like, yeah, I want to sit in on these. I want to understand how middle America, you know, digest marketing and, you know, what stores are moving the needles and what distribution looks like and how long it's going to take to freighter these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and those are just, and I get excited about those things too, but again, those are tools that will allow you to succeed, whether it's elsewhere or when you're ready to start your own business, you know, without having the fear of like, I don't know, it's okay to not know everything, but if you have a little understanding on some things, you're able to navigate that a little more to understand, oh, we need to bring somebody in that's in this area because this is where I, we know we need to grow in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I always looked at corporate America as like this, this big bad thing, but again, it's how you let it define you, you know, and at other smaller companies, I was always chief of this, yep. chief of this company. And, and when I got to Puma, I wanted to be me. Yep you know, and carve my own way and make my own, you know, noise and situation and was able to do that. But again, from people being open to allowing me sit in those rooms and advocating also too, you know, so um, the knowledge is there. It's yeah. just we have to go out and obtain it. And, and what you're talking about, the ecosystem, I think about, you know, growing up in, in New Orleans. I mean, people said a corner store it was an actual store on the corner that was owned from somebody in that neighborhood. Yeah. I don't have those no more. And, and I, wish, I wish we would get back to those to where it starts with something like that and then grows into other things. And we gotta start somewhere, but getting back to that to where you can impact, you don't have to impact everybody, but if you can impact your 30 neighbors around you, that becomes infectious. Yep. Other people see that, you know, so we have to get a better, we have to do a better job of that also too and being open to that. Mm -hmm. Agreed.
Great. Great. So how long how long were you at Jordan brand? I was at Nike for a total of thirteen years. Yeah. Two thousand one to two thousand fourteen. Seen it all. Like oh, that, yeah. was, that was like that was heyday to me because I was working at Gray One from around like two thousand and like three, four when like I kinda look at like the birth of streetwear and especially California and LA, like diamonds was starting crooks, you know, hundreds, yeah. all that, like, you know, Jerry was still doing the club stuff, yeah. and, like, you know, I was working at Brooklyn Projects and also, too, but I look at it now and how crazy the shoe game is, and I think, I'd be wishing, like, man, I wish I still had all that stuff, man, because I still have a lot of things, and I look at the shoe boxes, and I'm like, Jordan's was, like, 120 bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dunks, I remember when Dunks was crazy, and then nobody wanted to wear dunks. Oh, you know, Air and Force I know you, you you sat in, like, all that, you know, and, and to see it now that I feel like every other store is a aftermarket retail store mm -hmm. um, with just these shoes, and it's become, like, this billion-dollar business. But, again, I think what excited me about it, it was actually, like, true, like, it was a true, it was a real thing. It wasn't, like, this money thing. It was yeah. just, like... You know, we like this because the design is dope. We like, like, yeah, because uh, again, know, rocking with those things. Yeah, and we're in general release sneakers. Yeah. You know, limited edition, none of that. It, it, what happened is that these became an asset class. Mm -hmm. it, mm. The asset used to be your understanding of the nuance. Like, you knew if a person wasn't a skater and they pulled up. Like, you just knew, like, dog, you posing. Like, I was BMX <laughs> kid. You could just sniff it out, like, bro, you got all this shiny new stuff, but you don't even have no scrapes or scuffs, uh -huh. nothing. Your finger ain't been broken. Like, I don't even see no chipped teeth, no nothing, no scars. <laughs> um, what happened is we've allowed our culture to become cosplay for a lot of people. They could put on a uniform of our culture, meaning black culture, and mm -hmm. they could take it off with ease and then sell it back to us at a premium. And the reason why that has happened is because we've sought validation from everyone else. We, we've left our country to go to other countries for people to teach us taste, teach us culture, when we have a rich heritage in and of ourselves, and a lot of these cultures are appropriations or derivative of our history. Mm -hmm. So for me, sneaker culture is another thing that I can honestly say in the beginning, and most people don't even talk about this, and they need to, Southeast Asians play a huge part in sneaker culture. Yep. Huge. Filipinos play a huge part in sneaker culture. Mm -hmm. Mexicans play a huge part in sneaker culture. Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, mm -hmm. Japanese play a huge part in sneaker culture. And all those people were the same ones who were part of nerd culture, skate culture, toy yeah. collecting culture. So yeah. we all came together on, on, on message boards like Nike Talk. I didn't know where these people were from. <laughs> I just knew you liked what I like, bro, let's rap. Yeah. Oh, you got a Gundam in your profile pic? I love Gundams, bro, yeah. let's rap. Oh, I live in Shibuya in Japan. I live in Brooklyn. And so before there was this sneaker culture, it was a bunch of nerds and geeks who just loved it. And we would meet up in the parks and bring our collections. Yeah like little shoe shows. And so I remember when Soul Collector started with those guys and they would come to Portland and we'll sit down with Steve and we'll sit down with, you know, the reporters and we'll just go hang out in the park and just talk sneakers and show our collections like they were model cars or something. It yep. was it was it was yep. the same kids that collected trading cars, tops and flare, yep. and upper deck just yeah, grew up to want the shoes and jerseys to go with it. Yep. Now it became cool kid culture and it's another way to tell people you're not good enough. Not get it, yep. yeah. That's yeah. not what we got into it for. for yeah. 
But again, I think it's because we've let, like you said, we've let certain people infiltrate the culture. Um, <laughs> not only sell it back to us, but again, with it's been it's historically proven, right? Get in, figure out where the the weak link or the where I can get inside yeah. and totally um, damage the infrastructure or destabilize it. And then through the destabilization of the infrastructure, y'all are all running around, blah, 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 blah. And I'm here taking all the, what what's real and the, what's real. And then also looking at you and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the voice of reason. Yeah. I'm here to, that's, that's what we're living in, in every aspect yeah. of everything. I don't give up whether it's the NBA, the NFL, the music business, that's where we are right now. Like, if anybody thinks differently, you're fooling yourself. There's only a couple of people. There's not a bunch of millionaires. There's not a bunch of, there's only a couple of anomalies. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the way that they, that, that it's, it's wanted. Um, we have to, again, in dealing with our traumas, we're just so easy to be like, man, I take this. It's a start. It's cool. It is what it is. That's yeah. that's why we're in the position that we're in now is because of this is what it is mentality. Yeah. Yo, man, you just got to accept it. This is. Do you want it? No, nah, I don't want that. That's not what I want. At some point, like we have to be willing to not compromise. Yeah. There, there, there's certain things that can't be compromised, not without it damaging us for generations after we're gone. Right. So like we we have to just we got to figure it out, man, like cuz it's it's as beautiful. Our shit is beautiful. Like we like I don't everything that we've created like all of these things like you said that are sold back to us like um I remember when they were, you know, just what a couple months ago they were um there was a, like an online back Lash about Chloe or whoever is going to be playing. Um, yeah, Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. If you look at mermaid culture, mermaid culture is is, is African culture. The mermaids, it's black culture. It's a real thing. Um, yeah, in Louisiana. Yeah, Korea, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? They were like, yo. So the thing that she can't be a mermaid? No, she, th this is where it came from. This is we are the derivatives, yeah. and we just keep. We just keep like pushing it back. Like, no, I can't. It's almost like that can't be us. We that good? We, that can't be us. Right. No, it is us. It's all of us, but it, it's us too. And that, and that's the thing that we also I see us feeling a way about is us feeling like we have to mute ourselves because we're gonna make somebody else uncomfortable about what we are. Man, yeah. listen. If somebody's been stumped and beat on for a long time, when they come into the self-realization of who they are, if you don't think they're going to be like, yes, because I figured it out. I fig it's, it's not a slight on anybody else. Mm. It's just I figured it out, and it feels good, and I'm free. Yeah. And I've worked for that freedom, so I'm That's not going to allow you to mute me anymore. So why do we feel so indifferent like we'll we'll salute everybody else. 
Look at that. Look at yeah. that hashtag. Look at them. And we panic <coughs> about our own shit. I know nothing. Yeah, man. Everybody else's thing is celebrated. Like, if you ask somebody, a kid right now, when you get some money, where's the first place you're going to go to? A black kid. He's going to be like, I'm going to Greece. I'm going to Paris. Saw Travis there. I'm going to Paris. Do you know what France has done to Africa and is still doing? We're talking $500 billion in debt. And all, like, are we serious right now? Mm-hmm. You're not even talking about going to Ghana. You're not talking about going to nowhere. You, like you, the, the first place you're running off to is somewhere else. And that's, again, that's, it's how we've been, um, it's a trauma response. Trauma, man. Trauma. That's it, and the lack of knowing. Yeah. You, know, you, know. Yeah. you can't value something you don't understand. <laughs> you can't value something and you, that you know nothing about. Yeah, we, we, we haven't. So there's something that I, I learned recently, which really changed a lot. Like I studied color theory and color psychology for a really long time, mm-hmm. but I didn't understand our relationship with the color blue as a people. And moving to LA, okay. just like in Chicago, you got to think about colors. Like it's a thing. So I'm like, let me, let me, why, why is it such a net? Like, what is the reason why they've labeled certain colors as negative and harmful? Come to find out in the South, Black people used to paint their portraits with the color blue to ward off evil spirits. It was used as a color of protection, the color of peace, like a cover of healing, mm. right? Then we associate the color blue now with depression and loss and sadness, and now it's considered part of gang culture. And the reason why I, I call out colors because colors come from earth tones, things that are natural, things that man can't make. So how could something that man can make that's natural to this planet ever be demonized and viewed as evil unless there is a connection to it that empowers, uplifts, and enlightens? And so everything I'm doing now is trying to teach so that people can see ourselves as not being, having to explain away, you know, um, false villainy. Like we're, we're always trying to prove we're not a villain. We're always trying to prove that we're safe. You get in the elevator, that's a Petri dish of scientific research if you're a black man in the elevator you've all had went in the corner and made sure that you like yeah i ain't trying to interact with nobody because i don't want them to be uncomfortable with my presence <laughs> i may not even be a threat i could be coming from my child's recital or something and be suited and booted still thinking if this door closes it's their word against mine let me let me just yeah let me not make them uncomfortable with my presence i stopped doing that years ago because i'm like if someone's uncomfortable with me simply existing that's a reflection of them not a reflection of me yeah. and i'm not going to shrink contort myself, mold myself to fit anybody else's ignorance. That's on them. That's on them. If you don't want to get to know a good person, that's on you. You just missed out on a buddy, a friend, <laughs> a mentor for your kid, something. And I think as a people, we, we, we see each other as a zero-sum game. Like, if you win and I'm losing. If you have it, I don't. I see all my people like, man, if you're doing it, it's possible for me. I see every person that looks like me succeeding as a possibility for me. Yeah. Like, wow, you did that, Issa Rae? It's now possible for my daughter to see herself, for yeah. me to see myself. Gavin, supervision, you did that, I could do that. I don't compete. I don't compare. What I do is I celebrate. Yeah. I celebrate because when you celebrate somebody else, you're allowing good things to flow towards you. Because all that inner hatred and jealousy and all this, like, it only could be one of us and everybody needs to disappear and get behind the guy. We're the only culture that do that. Yeah. That picks one person to speak for all of us. I can guarantee you, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for you because our context is different. 
Yes. So when we have these voices of our culture, I'm like, what qualifies them to speak for me? Who nominated? When did we take a vote? Did I not yeah. get invited to the Black Summit? Like, I'm and not, I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I'm not hating. I'm just saying you don't have context for me. You can't speak for me. Like, you can't. No, the culture thinks that way. Um, because we've, we've been taught that to stand up for your people is to have to accept the fact that you could be martyred. Yeah. Like, that's what we think. So a lot of us are conditioned, like, I don't want to say nothing because I might be martyred with my career. I might be physically martyred. So then we just like, well, let that one person say it. Yeah. The reality is we all have to decide. And when I say we, I mean people in general have to decide, are we going to continue to allow us to be viewed through these categories that don't benefit any of us? Or are we finally going to realize that we all are on this timeline, on this planet, sharing resources, breathing the same oxygen. And if one of us are hurting, all of us are hurting. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's the simple. Yeah. If I see anybody, I don't care what country it's in, if they hurting, I'm hurting. Because we're all part of the human condition. Yeah. We are organic beings. We are part of an ecosystem, just like a bird, a fish, but humans, because we're sentient and we have free will and consciousness, we disassociate ourselves from organic life. I'm no better than a tree. I'm no better than a bird. I'm no better than a plant because we all need the same things in order yeah. to survive. I need sunlight and water and care. Yeah. Same thing, I get my flowers at home. So, but we, we're so smart, we're so cool, we think we don't need what nature nature can provide for us, and so we look for, for real love in artificial places. I don't want that. And so I think as we start to look for real love in real places and finding joy in the small accomplishments of like, man, I got up today and I spread, it, I spread my bed. To me, that's my first form of discipline. Get up in the morning, spread my bed, I celebrate that. Like, good job, Jason. Putting the shopping cart back, good job, Jason. I celebrate every little thing <laughs> that yeah, gives me some discipline. Yeah, that's some real shit. Yeah. You got to. You got some real shit. Because you can't wait for the, for the big game winning jump shots. That may not happen for you. Yeah. That may not happen for you to be on stage, but you can celebrate the small acts of discipline. And over time, that stuff compounds and you get momentum. And then your kids and the people around you, because all of us have people looking at us and looking up to us, they start to see like, man, I see the joy in this person simply in doing the small things. If we yeah. teach people the only time to celebrate is in big moments, then most 99% of the population will delay gratification and never experience any joy because they thought they didn't get their shot. Yeah. Anytime you wake up, you got a shot. Anytime you give it another day, you got a shot. You got a shot. As a, when, I, when I post, I post up a lot of things, uh, gratitude posts a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful. I always say I'm thankful for discernment. I'm thankful to see another day roll around. Thankful for my health and the health of, you know, my loved ones. Um, I'm thankful for it. Just there's just a number of things to be gratitude. I mean, to 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 be in gratitude about. Um, and like you said, the small wins, the small, and they're not small actually. They're actually, the wins are not small because the, the things that they make, like for instance, my daughter just um, she's playing volleyball now, right? Club volleyball and everything. Man, Thursdays and Saturdays are her practices, and then she does private too. But Thursdays and Saturdays. We all come together, the parents and everything, down in Long Beach at Mizuno and everything. And we come there, like the interaction and the, to see my daughter stepping into her self and holding space for this thing that she feels is important. Um, and to see it like bringing our families together, like, our, you know, her uncles come, her uncle comes and, you know, we're uh, just everybody's there for her, you know what I mean? But. And being there for her, we're there for ourselves. Like there's certain, and, and all the other parents and all the other interactions, man, like 
these things are important. These, 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 these small things are actually meteors in our lives. You know what I'm saying? And um, I'm thankful for all of it, man. Mm. I'm thankful for all of it. I'm thankful for this today, man. This is, this is like, this has been one of the more incredible, I think, conversations that we've had. And to begin our season two like this and to sit down with you. And I, I, I would, listen, man, I, I, I don't want to speak for Chief because we can't speak for each other. <laughs> but what I would want to say is that I hope that you will come see us as, mu- as much as you want to, man. Oh, I feel it. I'm here. Yeah. Seriously. No, I, I feel like we, we, uh, we only scratched the surface today. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so uh, yeah. don't be surprised when we reach it out. Like, yo, you ready for <laughs> round, round two, two and three? three? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Special man, yeah, man. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to be an uncommon man, bro. I want to show our people that you can get to where you want to be, and help as many people get to where they want to be at the same time. That's it. Like, it's plenty for us all. Plenty, it's bro. Plenty it's for plenty. us, man. It's plenty. This world has more resources than it has people. This notion of the world is overpopulated. That's cap. Yeah. That's cap. Like, yeah. that's cap. How? <laughs> How? Who, who decided that they can look at the earth and measure the fact that these assets that we have, natural resources that can replenish themselves when we stop toxifying them, are going to run out? Yeah. Based on how many people live where. You know how much of America is, is, is basically rural and no one lives there? Yeah. So we On our 16-hour drive from Vegas when that snow, the snow storm happened, we drove through so many cities, and I, my mind is going like, do you know how much you could build three cities in this place? Rural, rural, but it's the fear. It's fear. Fear of not Without being fear, people cool can't place. control people, you know? Yeah, man, it's the great motivator. That's why once you let go of fear and you realize this ain't a practice life, and none of us make it out of life alive. <laughs> <laughs> That's like you can facts. make the most out of your moment, bro. Like you just gotta cherish every single second and realize that this is the greatest it's ever gonna be. Is yeah. right now. There is no tomorrow. There is no yesterday. It's right in this moment. And for me, I choose joy every second. And if I can show black people, specifically black folks, from where we come from, that joy is a function of how you look at your circumstances and what you're willing to accept, and then what you're willing to reject and change, then man, you can be free. We're not our parents. We're not our trauma. We're not our neighborhoods. We're not our hoods. We're not our colors. We're none of that. We're, all, we're, we're, we're everything we think we can't be. And we'll never realize that until we try. You know what I'm saying? So if I try and fail, then I hope people learn from my failures because I know I'm learning. Yeah, if I try and succeed, then I hope people see me as a possibility and not as the one. I'm just a one. I'm not the one. Um, there's plenty of us out here, man. Yeah. Um, where can people dive a little bit more into some of the endeavors? I know we didn't get a chance to cover everything, but yeah. how can people tap in with you, oh, website, man. whatever? Best way um, right now is Instagram. I had to set up the newsletter thing. Like, I'm really terrible on social because um, I don't want that to be the metric of my impact. I'm, I'm do more in real life than I do online, yeah. but the quickest way is just shoot me a note on IG. Um, it's just Jason Maiden, J-A-S-O-N, Maiden, M-A-Y-D-E-N. He will respond. Yeah, there it is. He will respond. Yeah, because you never know, bro. Yeah. A kid yeah. reach out to you and they, you might be the difference between them taking their life or not. Yes, yes. I think about that. Yes. Man. Yo, listen, man. Uh, we, again, what a, what a, I'm just sitting here in gratitude, sitting with my brother Chief, sitting with our new brother Jason. 
This is as great as it's ever gonna be. We'll see y'all soon, a sweet life. Choose joy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.